0: Playlist. All of us have our favorite playlists, especially this time of year. There are songs that we absolutely love and probably have on repeat. I'm telling you, this Christmas, Donny Hathaway may be one, but I'll take our worship pastor's Christian Ballinger version any day. Uh, they crushed that. Um, there are also are probably songs that when you that come on the radio at Christmas time, you're like, I just can't stand it. if I hear that one more time. You know what I'm saying? I won't name any, but you probably have them as well. But for us, you know, as the world sings their songs about what Christmas means to them, as Jesus followers, we understand that the meaning of Christmas is not found in gifts. It's not found in trees. It's not found in a plump man in a red suit. It's not even found in the gathering of family. It is found in our Lord and Savior and King, Christ Jesus' birth. However, that too has a playlist. If you're familiar at all, or you may not be, which is why we've named this series, Playlist, Luke's Gospel. There are actually four songs that serve as a soundtrack, if you will, to Christ's birth. We are going to look at three of them this month in December. The first one, starting today, is Mary's song. Next weekend, we'll look at Zechariah's song, and then the weekend of the 17th and 18th, we'll cover the angel's song, which they sang right after our Lord was born. Here's what I would like us to do. I know you've been standing for a little bit. I'm going to ask you to stand again. If you have your Bible with you today, whether that be digital or a hard copy, you can open it to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 46. Of course, if you don't, that's okay. They'll put it on the monitor beside me and the screen behind me, I would love for us to read aloud God's word. And as we do, let me encourage you, don't just do this because I'm asking it to you or just read the words on the screen, but really think about these words and remember the points to Mary's song because we're going to Um, tie that into uh, uh, some verses in the Old Testament as well. So let's read God's word together today, starting at verse 46, Luke chapter one. Mary responded, "'Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, "'how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, "'for he took notice of his lowly servant girl, "'and from now on all generations will call me blessed. "'For the mighty one is holy.'" And he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. We have worshipped and sung powerful lyrics this morning. Jesus, to declare you alone are worthy. So our hearts are ready to receive your word. I pray that as we look at this amazing and powerful song from Mary, that it would do more than uh, tickle our hearts or our minds, our ears, that it would do more than just inspire us, but that through the power of your spirit, there would be a transformation that takes place. Lord, revolutionize our spirits and souls today. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You may be seated. So the song that we just read, this portion of scripture, is also referred to as the Magnificat. If you have a Catholic background at all, you'll probably recognize that. Some even sing it in Latin, which is where the word Magnificat comes from. Now, I would butcher if I try to pronounce that in Latin, that top line, so I'm not going to do that. But I wanted you to see it which comes from the first line of the song that we read in Scripture where Mary sang, My soul magnifies the Lord. And of course, of course, the emphasis is on that word magnifies, which in Latin is magnificat. Now, it's based on that line, my soul magnifies the Lord, which Mary sang. And this portion of Scripture, Mary's song, has been a part of church liturgy ever since the beginning of the church, its earliest days. Interestingly enough, this portion of Scripture is the longest set of words spoken by any woman in the New Testament. It also is the first Christmas carol ever composed. When you look closely, and I hope that you paid attention to the lyrics of Mary's song, you're going to find that her song is more than just a simple and spontaneous song of praise. In fact... It is a song so powerful, and it's filled with so much meaning that it actually has been viewed as dangerous by people in power. So much so, some countries such as India, Argentina, El Salvador, and Guatemala at times in their history have actually banned Mary's song from being recited in public. During the 1800s, the British rule of India, this song, Mary's song, this portion of scripture was prohibited from being sung in church. In the 1970s, the government of Argentina outlawed any public display of the Magnificat after her words were put onto posters and spread throughout the capital city. Similarly, in the 1980s, it was Guatemala's government that found Mary's song too dangerous to be recited or sung in public. Why? What would be so threatening about a spontaneous song a song sung by the mother of Jesus? Before I answer that question, let's look at the story behind the song. How many understand every song has a story? Well, most of you are familiar with Mary, even if you didn't grow up in church, or you're visiting us today, or you don't have a religious background. You at least are familiar, most likely, with who Mary is and her story here at Christmas time. Mary was a young, poor, Jewish girl from an area called Galilee. She was probably 12 to 13 years old. And the name Mary is actually derived from the name Miriam. Miriam. Miriam may sound familiar. Miriam was the name of Moses' sister. Now, the ancient Hebrew meaning of Miriam means rebellion or rebellious, which is a reference to Miriam's life as a slave in Egypt. So Mary, derived from Miriam, means rebellious or rebellion. Now, again, I mentioned she was from Galilee, giving you a little geography. Israel is about the size of the state of New Jersey. And in the south, there was an area called Judea. The capital city, Jerusalem, was in Judea. Right just north of Judea, the middle portion of the country of Israel, at Jesus' time, was the area called Samaria. The Samaritans, who were from Samaria, didn't like the Israelites, and the Israelites didn't like the Samaritans. But north of that, there is an area called Galilee, where Mary is from. A lot of Jesus' public ministry took place in the area known as Galilee. But Galilee was also a place of political unrest and uprisings. A lot of revolutions happened in Galilee. So get the picture. Mary, whose name is derived from Miriam, which means rebellious, is from Galilee, an area known for rebellions. So... Mary is betrothed to another young man named Joseph, and you most likely again know the story that an angel of the Lord appears to Mary and says that she is going to have have a child, and this child is conceived of the Holy Spirit. And so at the beginning of Luke's gospel, we see this story take place from Mary's perspective. But after she finds this out from the angel of the Lord that she's pregnant, conceived by the Holy Spirit, she decides to visit a relative of hers, an older relative of hers, who's named Elizabeth. And Elizabeth was named after our pastor, Elizabeth. (laughs) Just checking, make sure you're awake. I think it went the other way around. So Mary decides she's going to visit her older relative, Elizabeth. Now, who was Elizabeth? Elizabeth was married to a man named Zachariah. Zechariah was a priest in the temple. And next weekend, we're going to talk about his song. But you have Zachariah and Elizabeth, him being a, a priest in the temple. And they were righteous people. They were a godly couple. But they could not have children. And so one day, as Zechariah is serving in the temple of the Lord, an angel of the Lord appears to Zechariah and says, your wife Elizabeth is going to have child. Now, Zechariah laughs. And the reason he laughs is because Elizabeth was older. She was beyond the age of having kids. However, God didn't find it too funny that Zechariah laughed. And so Zechariah all of a sudden loses his ability to speak. Now, this is all in that first part of Luke chapter 1, right before we looked at the Magnificat. So, Mary visits her older relative, Elizabeth, and the Bible tells us that when she visited Elizabeth, who was with child, the the baby within Elizabeth leaped with joy. And then the Bible tells us that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in response to feeling her baby leap with joy in Mary's presence, and then being filled with the Holy Spirit herself, she declares a blessing Over Mary. And and she says to Mary. She says to Mary. Blessed are you. Because you believed the Lord. Will do what he has said. Now right at this point. Upon Elizabeth blessing Mary. That is when Mary breaks. Into a spontaneous song of worship. That we have come to know. As Mary's song or the Magnificat. Now. Truth be told, Mary's song was really a remix of an earlier prayer. Let me explain. Mary's song was a remix of a young girl named Hannah's prayer from a thousand years earlier. If you don't know who Hannah is, you can go to 1 Samuel chapter 2. But for time's sake, Hannah was another Hebrew woman that was unable to have a child. And the Lord conceives a child in her and answers her prayer. And she ends up having a son. Anybody guess the name? Know the name Samuel, yeah. She has a son named Samuel who becomes a prophet of the Lord. Well, when Samuel becomes of age, she brings Samuel to the temple to dedicate her son that God gave to her, an answered prayer. And she dedicates Samuel to the temple. And in that moment, Hannah prays this prayer. Now remember, remember the words that we read from Mary's song and then pay attention to Hannah's prayer that I'm about to read to you. She prays, my heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you have rescued me. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Here we go. Stop acting so proud and haughty. Don't speak with such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows what you have done. He will judge your actions. The bow of mighty is now broken, and those who stumbled are now strong. Those who were well fed are now starving, and those who were starving are now full. The childless woman now has seven children, and the woman with many children wastes away. The Lord gives both death and life and brings some down to the grave, but he raises others up. The Lord makes some poor and others rich. He brings some down and he lifts others up. I think she was reading Ecclesiastes before she prayed this. (laughs) Sounds like it. He lifts the poor, here we go. He lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them among princes and places them in seats of honor. For the earth, all the earth is the Lord's, and he has set the world in order. He will protect his faithful ones, but the wicked will disappear in darkness. No one will succeed by strength alone. Those who fight against the Lord will be shattered. He thunders against them from heaven. The Lord judges throughout the earth. He gives power to his king. He increases the strength of his anointed one. What is the significance? What are the tie-ins? There's a few lines there where Hannah prays about the poor becoming rich. About the rich losing their wealth. About... Princes and kings and thrones coming off and those who are humble being lifted up. Those who are hungry being fed. There's a connection between Hannah's prayer a thousand years earlier and Mary's song. So what is the significance of this? Both Hannah's prayer and Mary's songs are prophetic words about Jesus Christ. Hannah is praying about Jesus a thousand years before he would ever step foot on this earth. And Mary is singing a spontaneous song about her son that would come true 30 years later when he began his public ministry. So, why would nations, why would they ban a spontaneous song of worship from a young, poor, pregnant teenage girl from Galilee? What could possibly be so threatening? Well, consider this. It was about 100 years ago there was a missionary, theologian, and preacher named E. Stanley Jones who called the Magnificat, Mary's song, the most revolutionary document in the world. William Barclay, a famous English theologian, calls the Magnificat a bombshell. He says, we have forgotten its revolutionary terror. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, a name you may be familiar with, who was a German pastor and theologian that was executed by the Nazis in World War II, called Mary's song the most passionate, the wildest, one might say the most revolutionary hymn ever sung. You see, Mary's prophetic song, much like Hannah's prayer a thousand years earlier, is indeed a song of revolution. Why? Why? It is a song about a divine reversal. It is a song about a king who would be coming that would flip the world on its end, that would turn things upside down. In sending his son Jesus to earth, God the Father ushered in a new kingdom and a new order of things. He would revolutionize the way we think, the way we are to act, and the way we are to live. And in this kingdom, this king would empower those who are powerless. And when you threaten power, power will strike back. That is why this song was so revolutionary. That is why countries banned it because all of a sudden this was a message about a king and a kingdom who would raise up the lowly and bring down the powerful. It's a song about a divine reversal. Mary, whose name means rebellion, coming from an area in Israel which was known for revolutions, she fully recognized the need for a revolution. Violence greed, tyranny, flourished in ancient Israel every bit as much as it does in our world today. But the revolution that Mary sang of was not a mere political revolution. Many, when Jesus came of age, were looking for a Messiah that would bring the Israelites to power. Many were looking for a king who would come, would eliminate the Romans It would eliminate their enemy and all of a sudden they would be in power but she sang of a divine revolution there are three aspects of of this revolution in Mary's song that are implications for us first Mary sang of a revolution of the heart in verse 51 she said his mighty arm and has done tremendous things he has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. You see, usually revolutions simply swap the rulers. You're trading one master for another master. They may be able to save themselves, those they represent and those they love, from an outward enemy. But Jesus would now address an enemy within. Jesus, his kingdom, his kingship would come and address the enemy in our hearts, which is pride and which is sin. You see, in this kingdom... Pride is eradicated. Yes, Mary sings of a revolution of the heart, one that would come 30 years later when her son Jesus would begin his public ministry and begin preaching a revolutionary message like this. Do you remember this message? Jesus standing in front of the crowds, preaching, Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful. A revolutionary message for its time saying you who are poor, not just the ones physically in their bank accounts or in their wallets that didn't have resources, but you who are poor in spirit, you who know that you need something more, you who are lacking. Jesus came and preached a revolutionary said a message and said, you are blessed. You who are meek, not you who are proud, not you who think you have it all figured out, who need nothing, who go, I've got the corner. I know I have a plan and this is where I'm going. No, blessed are you who are humble. Blessed are you who not return an eye for an eye or a strike for a strike but you who turn the other cheek blessed are you who are merciful when you have every right to strike back and you don't you are the ones that I'm coming to bless it's a revolutionary message but then he goes a step further and he blesses those but then he says woe to you who are what rich woe to you who are well fed woe to you who laugh now is this a message against those who are wealthy no it's about those who are rich in heart and not poor in heart those that you have all you need i don't need you jesus i don't need anything more i have got everything you who are fed your bellies are full you're relaxed i'm good woe to you who laugh now without a care in the world you don't need anything jesus says woe to you and it's a revolutionary message Mary also sings not only of a revolution of the heart, but a revolution of the mind. Singing that he has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. You see, in God's kingdom, it's the humble that are elevated. Jesus did not come in his birth to the palace of Herod. He came lowly to a manger. Jesus didn't spend time in palaces Jesus spent time with the peasants. Jesus spent time with those who were lacking. And it's a revolution of the mind. And again, when you threaten power, power strikes back. It was threatening the power of the day. And this is what God's kingdom does. Mary sings of a revolution of the heart, a revolution of the mind, how we think of ourselves. God calls us to be humble and meek. But she also sings of a revolution of our hands saying that he has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands, saying that God's kingdom will be different. This will be a kingdom of people that don't hoard, that don't just save up and look at themselves. This will be a kingdom, a revolutionary kingdom that looks to serve, to serve and to give to others. This kingdom would not be represented by a sword representing power. The symbol of this kingdom would be a cross. A place of death. The symbol of this kingdom would be a water basin and a towel washing one another's feet. A revolutionary idea. I read an interesting statistic, a fascinating statistic that speaks to this revolution of our hands. God, how God's kingdom will be different. I read that I believe there was about $300 billion this year alone in 2022 given in philanthropy. And of that 300 billion, 70% of it came from either Christians or faith-based organizations. 70%. We don't see that on the news. It's a revolution. It's a revolution. And that should be the kingdom of God. Christ coming to earth ushered in a new order of things. A divine revolution that goes against the normal order. No, this kingdom, this kingdom of God is different than the kingdom of the world. God's kingdom promotes not the powerful, not the wise, not the talented, not the strong, not the good looking, not the famous, not the wealthy, not the connected. It is a different kind of kingdom. Jesus, just three chapters later in Luke's gospel, chapter 5, speaks of why he came. And he says these words. Jesus says, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And he says, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous. Not those who think they have it all figured out. Not those who have a plan and have it all together. But I've come for those who know they are sinners and need to repent. When we listen to the song of Mary, when her lyrics go deep within our soul and deep within our spirit, we will understand, and here's the implication for us, that Jesus meets us in our place of pain, not the palace of our pride. Or the palace of our privilege. Jesus wants to meet us in our place of pain. If you are in pain today, you are in the perfect position for Jesus to meet you. Jesus doesn't come to the place, to the palace rather, of our pride or the palace of our privilege. He's not waiting for you to get your act together, He's not waiting for you to figure out and have all of the answers. That's not where Jesus comes. Jesus comes finally to the place of your tears, to the place of your pain. When you recognize, I don't have it all figured out, I can't do it, I don't know what I'm going to do. So here's the good news, if you're here today and you're lonely, if you're here today and you're in pain, if you're here today and you're depressed, if you're here today and you're experiencing fear and anxiety and woe, if you're here today and you're in mourning, if you're here today and you feel oppressed, if you're here today and you're hungry, if you're here today and poor you are in the perfect place because that's where Jesus wants to come he wants to meet you in your place of pain not in the palace of your privilege so here's what I invite you to do in this moment and in the days and in the weeks to come leading into Christmas this is a season of joy it's a season of celebration but we all know it's also a season of pain I invite you to wait there. Would you sit in your place of pain? Would you bring that to Jesus, knowing that he desires to meet you there? We're in a season we call Advent. You know what Advent means? A longing. A waiting. A looking forward to. So as you wait in your place of pain, bring it to God And Advent there. Wait there. Knowing that that's where Jesus wants to meet you. Rachel. Rachel Held Evans said these powerful words. What made Jesus radical was not who he excluded from ministry. But who he included. I'm going to remix her words as we come to the table of the Lord. What made Jesus radical was not who He excluded from his table, but who He included. Think about the table of the Lord. The table of the Lord included a zealot, someone who wanted to tear down the current powers it be, the government it be. It included a tax collector, someone who was working on the behalf of the government. It included a traitor. Jesus invited a traitor to his table. So today as we come to the Lord, know that everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome to the table of the Lord. As we do that, this is not ACAC's table. It's not our denominations table. You don't have to be a member of this church. It could be your first time here today. You simply need to be a part of the family of God. So if you are a follower of Jesus, you are invited no matter where you're at, no matter how you feel, your background. We come today to the table of the Lord and everyone is invited. Take your communion element if you would. If you need one, just raise your hand. Our ushers are on the side. They'll make sure that you get one. I'll make sure that we give you time. I will also give you a heads up. There's new communion cups in case you haven't noticed. We're not going to make you peel the thin layer of plastic off anymore to get the wafer. I will give you a heads up. So on one end, on the small end, if you actually turn it upside down, that's where your wafer is. And then when we get to the juice, you'll turn it, flip it back over and peel that one off. I think it's self-explanatory. A few more that have their hands raised that need the cup. Let's prepare our hearts today. Go ahead and take that little cracker. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. He gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you partake of the bread? In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying this cup is a new covenant. It's a revolutionary covenant. (laughs) Between God and His new and His people, an agreement confirmed with My blood. Do this in remembrance of Me as often as you drink. Let us partake of the cup. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. Would you stand with me this morning?